0: Fomi was spying on Trump. The reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh, wait. Unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. A lot going on, some major victories in the Supreme Court for election integrity and the First Amendment, victories that are causing the left a lot of heartburn in their efforts to really subvert democracy, in my view. Plus, we have new documents further confirming the government conspiracy with big tech to target frankly, me, uh, and Judicial Watch, and of course, uh, you indirectly. Uh, On top of that, the harassment and abuse of President Trump and people around him continue, uh, and I've got something straightforward to say on that. Plus, it's Independence Day, and we'll have a special Independence Day uh, discussion at the end of the program. Well, thanks for joining me. We've got a lot going on. Uh, First up, are uh, new documents that we've uncovered from the California Secretary of State's office, uh, further confirming and 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 delineating the collusion between that government those government officials and uh, big tech to target and censor uh, Judicial Watch and yours truly. I had a video up uh, for Judicial Watch that discussed shortly before the elections concerns I had about the elections, the use of mail-in balloting. Uh, a big settlement we had with L.A. County and the state of California that would require L.A. County to clean up to 1.6 million names from its voter rolls. And really just straightforward analysis based on our expert opinion about election integrity measures, uh, the dangers of mail-in balloting and other concerns that we had about fraud. So making a mockery of the First Amendment, uh, the uh California state officials, and we had already uncovered that they were doing this, but now the emails kind of uh, flesh it out and show that it was more direct because uh, prior emails showed that they were coordinating with big tech, California state, frankly, other states were too, to take down content posted by Americans. So uh, our initial fines, uh, frankly, led to one of the victims actually sue, I think in federal court, and I'll get into that. Uh, but the new documents show directly that the California office secretary, the California's uh, secretary of state's office directly emailed Google, which runs YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, it's a Google property uh, employee. They emailed uh, Google employees to remove a judicial watch video entitled and the title was Election Integrity Crisis, Dirty Voting Rolls, Voter Rolls." ballot harvesting, and mail-in voting risks. As I said, all perfectly legitimate. And after they uh, complained about us, the video was removed within three days. As I said, it, it featured me talking about uh, these issues. Uh, it's a product of Judicial Watch. So they were censoring, and, and the government was trying to censor, and successfully so, one of the top government watchdog groups in the country, frankly, if not the world, dare I say it. Uh, the documents also reveal that there was this exchange between the California state officials and Twitter. Twitter, didn't, you know, sometimes they didn't take down everything the government wanted them to take down, uh, but it shows that they had this buddy-buddy relationship with Twitter. In fact, one of the California state officials was going to have lunch, it looks like, with one of uh, Twitter's representatives. I've never had, I don't think I've ever had lunch with anyone from Twitter. I mean, they've locked me out, uh, so they don't even really talk to me other than to tell me I can't go back on the platform until I delete material they don't like. So specifically, the document targeting Judicial Watch was an email sent to civics at Google.com, uh, and it copies four other Google employees. And they say and falsely characterize my email with the following language. And this is the official. Um, her name is uh, she's the social media coordinator. You know, social media coordinators that work for the government are supposed to be, frankly, just posting and maybe monitoring um, uh, social media on behalf of the government employees or government officials they work for. Well, this person was actually using her position to target me, Uh, and her name was Akilah Jones, and she wrote, I'm reporting the following video because it misleads community members about elections or other civic processes and misrepresents the safety and security of mail-in ballots. Thank you for your time and attention to this matter. Now, that was false. I didn't misrepresent anything. It's uh, it's outrageously false. And when you look at the video, uh, which is still available, go to our website, go click on the release talking about this, and you can find the link. You'll see it was straightforward analysis. The next day, they got back to her, said, thanks for reaching out. We'll look into this and get back to you as soon as we can. So the government said, jump, and Google says, how high? And shortly thereafter, I think it was two or three days later, circling back on this, Google writes back to them, thank you for raising this content to our attention. This has been removed from the platform for violating our policies. Please do not hesitate to reach out. If there are any other questions or concerns you may have. Censorship achieved with government intervention. So this, in my view, is a smoking gun piece of information smoking gun piece of evidence that shows that Google uh, was uh, not targeting judicial watch uh, in in their private capacity but as an agent of a state government which raises much more significant First Amendment and constitutional concerns than if they were just a private agency or a private entity now, the fact that they're just a private entity doesn't necessarily exonerate them, even if the government wasn't involved. But that's another matter. And I'm sure all the legal legals that watch this program and, and watch this video can debate about it below. Uh, the government, uh, excuse me, the government documents also show that they were trying and successfully took down videos concerning election integrity uh, by two other individuals. And their accounts subsequently were destroyed or, excuse me, well, destroyed is the right way to put it. I don't think it's a technical way to put it. Uh, their accounts were ended by Twitter. Uh, not uh, There were emails dated November 13th, 2000. The two individuals, including a D.C. Drano, um, had tweets about California. And um, I don't know if they were accurate or not. I mean, both of them look. One is an opinion, so it, It's an opinion. So I don't understand why the state of California is interested in, since, well, I do understand, but it's inappropriate, and why Twitter would take down an opinion. And the other is a question. So you can't ask a question, and you can't have an opinion about California's election integrity measures. Now, as I said, early on in April, we first uncovered the documents showing that the Secretary of State pressured social media companies. Again, it was Twitter, Facebook, Google, you name it, to censor us and others. And D.C. Drano, who I talked about as being the target here, the documents back then also showed he was a target. And He saw those evidently. His name is Rogan O'Handley. He's on, I think he's still on Instagram if you want to look him up. Uh, He recently filed a lawsuit against Twitter based on the initial judicial watch disclosures. And my guess is these new documents might provide His lawyers with some more information to help them as they litigate over this violation of his rights. Uh, And of course, it's not just California. In May, we had separately uncovered documents showing that the Office of Secretary of State of Iowa, Republican run. So this isn't just Democrat versus Republican. Any government official who abuses their authority like this, in my view, is violating your First Amendment rights. And it shows you that it's not just Democrats who do it. I guess, you know, anyone who's been around town here for as long as, you know, I guess I don't like to admit I've been around town for as long as I've been around, recognize that Republicans don't like uh, groups like Judicial Watch just as much as Democrats don't. I mean, if, if you don't like corruption in D.C. or in government generally, both, both party leadership generally tends to hate you. And, that's, and I think that's been the case at Judicial Watch more or less. So you had Iowa pressuring social media companies, Twitter and Facebook, to censor posts about the two thousand twenty, the twenty twenty election, um, and uh, including our posts. I think they successfully got Facebook, if I recall, to take one of our posts down or, or or falsely label them. So this is where we are. We have conspiracy proven between state state government officials and big tech to censor Americans about the election. Where are the Republicans on this? Where's the law Where's the law on this in terms of the Justice Department? Obviously we're looking at our legal options here, but this is a crisis. This is a crisis. Uh, we don't face, censor, we've never faced censorship like this before as a people, at least in modern American history. And you think it's now, it's, it's not just about elections that you're not allowed to raise questions about. I know on YouTube, if you allege certain things about the election, I'm not going to allege them because I don't want this video to be taken down over something silly, uh, they'll take it down. They'll take it down, surely as night follows day. And it's not just elections. Obviously, they've been censoring on COVID. I've been locked out of Twitter since January on a, on a, a comment on hydroxychloroquine that doesn't even mention COVID. Completely accurate comment that previously had been approved by Twitter, meaning someone else had complained about it and found it. Twitter told me it wasn't in violation of their rules. Then they decided it's in violation of their rules. They're not going to let me come down, come back unless I take it down again, which I'm not all that hesitant, which I'm all that, uh, which I'm not all that happy to do. So they've expanded it from election censorship. Of course, you know, they censored material to protect Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. They've expanded it to COVID, where you've got, uh, in my view, these big tech platforms who say that, you know, they're just, they're not publishers, they're not publishers, intervening and, and, and censoring debates and questions about medical interventions related to COVID and treatments. Who knew that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and of course, they're working with government officials in that regard, too. We've got a lawsuit on that specifically with respect to COVID. Who knew that, though, these big tech platforms were also medical experts and and uh, you could rely. You Are they taking the position? It's curious to me that you can rely on them for medical advice like a doctor. Well, when you have this totalitarian instinct, of course, that's their point of view, it seems to me. But they're going to expand it. I'm convinced they're going to expand it into criticism of critical race theory and the racist communist propaganda that's being force fed our school children, government employees, corporate employees and our military. And, you know, they've already uh, censored people who complain um, about uh, uh, the transgender radicalism that's out there as well. So it doesn't matter the topic. I mean, if you think you can talk about every other topic under the sun, but for the ones you know, they generally, you never know what they're going to censor you over. So this is a real crisis and Republicans on the Hill and Democrats are talking about antitrust. Obviously, Democrats thought antitrust legislation uh, would result in uh, these companies being reined in in terms of censorship. They wouldn't support it. So they obviously have another agenda. I mean, there's a news story today or this week that the left-wing attorney general of the District of Columbia, Carl Racine, is threatening, I think, to censor Facebook if he hasn't done so, or excuse me, threatening, well, threatening to subpoena Facebook if he hasn't done, done so already for, for information, at least based on the report I saw, that would require Facebook to turn over everyone that Facebook censored. Related to COVID. So, if you are, so you have this government official subpoenaing Facebook to get access, it looks like, to your Facebook data. Your private Facebook data. Yeah, it is private, in my view. So, this is a real crisis. So, you know, the Republicans are getting distracted, my view, on this antitrust jihad. I don't know where that's going to go. While we're all facing this radical censorship, that's not abated one bit, not abated one bit, just as Donald Trump, if it's abated one bit. Frankly, we are doing more than Republicans have in Congress to investigate the censorship. Effectively, they write letters and such, but in terms of Like making it, you know, when Republicans tell you they're in the minority and there's nothing they can do, no, it's not true necessarily. It doesn't mean that they can necessarily get legislation passed otherwise, uh, you know, as as a minority party. But that's not the only thing of it. That's not the only tool. Legislation isn't the only tool available uh, to a party on Capitol Hill. And certainly state attorney generals, they should be more aggressive here. I mean, the states have been taking some steps. Ron DeSantis passed a law that holds big tech companies more accountable for their misconduct. Of course, a, a Clinton-appointed judge came in and shot down the law, at least temporarily. But that's, that wasn't unsurprising. But we're facing a crisis here. And uh, Judicial Watch is confronting it and exposing it and providing the tools. At least, you know, someone, at least one person has sued based on this information try to expose what went on. And, you know, you can bet Judicial Watch, um, we're just, we, we've just begun. We've just begun to expose what went on here in terms of big tech censorship of you. Next up, we have some good news for a change to talk about, which were uh, two great Supreme Court decisions, and uh, they are about elections and your First Amendment core rights. Uh, two great decisions, uh, Judicial Watch participated in both of the cases through friend-of-court briefs, and uh, we've been, in some cases, pursuing these issues for years. And obviously, uh, the first case is something that we're very much interested in because you know, we've been the private sector leader in trying to ensure our elections are clean. I want to say that again. Judicial Watch has been the private sector leader in trying to ensure our elections are clean. No one else has filed as many lawsuits, A, to uncover the truth about what uh, government officials are doing with respect to dirty elections, and B, trying to protect clean elections. Uh, The Supreme Court upheld clean election law efforts in Arizona that really just blow up the leftist canard and uh, racist um, dishonesty that uh, has been uh, levied at those trying to ensure that elections are fair and honest. And specifically in uh, Arizona, there were two laws, basic laws, uh, that one banned ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting is mostly banned throughout the country for obvious reasons. It allows third parties in an unchecked way, practically speaking, at least in California's version of it, to collect ballots and turn them in. I mean, you know, talk about an opportunity for fraud. And then secondly, uh, they uh, upheld um, uh, prohibitions related to out of precinct voting. What is out of precinct voting? It means when you go to vote, you're supposed to go and vote in your precinct. If you voted, you know what to do, right? You go, you say, hey, this is my neighborhood polling place. And this is where I go to vote. And it helps ensure that your identity is, is it helps ensure your actual identity. And that you are the actual voter. Because if you can vote, if in theory, you can vote anywhere in a, in a jurisdiction, uh, obviously, it increases the opportunity for fraud. I mean, you vote, let's say you vote regularly at, in one place, your, your precinct, and someone decides to vote your name somewhere else. They They're able to vote in theory because they sometimes get ballots. Under the left's view, they should be able to get ballots if they show up in the wrong place to vote. And so the restrictions on that, they said, were racist. And the court said, no way uh, are these prohibitions and these restrictions uh, inappropriate. They are, frankly, standard in many places across the country and have been for dozens of years. And just saying they're racist doesn't make it so. And in the case of Arizona, the left is challenging the law, uh, they said, well, these, these, these rules impact minorities more than uh, non-minorities. And, and I think the difference was something like 99.3% versus 99.1%, at which the Judge Alito, Justice Alito noted, is obviously an immaterial difference. And uh, who are they fooling? And, of course, the rules themselves are neutral and aren't targeted at minorities. So that whole canard has been destroyed by this 6-3 decision. Uh, um, As I said, the decision is a home run for cleaner elections. It reaffirms that states, and this is important, may take action to prevent election fraud without waiting for it to occur within their own borders. And that's the other left's big lie. Oh, well, you know, there's no evidence of election fraud, so you don't need any rules against election fraud. As if that's the purpose only of legislation to protect and preserve clean elections and to reassure Americans and voters that the elections are being conducted in a regular and fair and honest way. The new decision rightly rejects the race baiting, as I said, of the leftist partisans who pretend that neutral provisions to combat voter fraud, such as voter ID and bans on ballot harvesting, are presumptively racist. And the decision also destroys the foundation for the Biden administration's recent attack. You know, they filed a lawsuit last week against the Georgia rules. They were modest election reform laws that, frankly, I think were too modest. States can be confident now that they can go full speed ahead. And this is what's driving the left crazy uh, to strengthen elections and protect voting rights with security measures such as voter ID and other sensible, common sense uh, 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 ideas to make it harder to steal elections. And I think you always have to go back. Why does the left oppose? I mean, you, you know, I think the question answers itself. Why do you think the left opposes voter ID? Cleaning up election rolls. We have three lawsuits in federal court right now to clean up election rolls in Pal- Pennsylvania, Colorado, North Carolina, and we're opposed by leftist interest groups. And in addition to fighting the government, we have to fight the institutional left in court, little old judicial watch. Why do you think they oppose all of that? They oppose cleaning up election rolls, voter ID, the very idea of decision verification, any basic, basic election integrity measures. Why do you think they oppose it? You know why I think, because I think they want to be able to engage in fraud when necessary. And I encourage you, by the way, to read these decisions. They're usually written in a way that a layman can understand. Uh, and uh, and you'll see what I mean. Go ahead and read the decisions. And some of it may fly over your head. I'm a layman. Some of it, you know, I'm not terribly interested in because I don't think it's important to the decision. And uh, so you don't have to worry about whether you understand everything. but. There's enough there that you'll be very interested in, and especially on this election issue, because it's important. Let me just say this. It's important you read this decision because it provides ammunition for you in your activist life as a citizen and a voter in terms of advocating for stronger and cleaner uh, elections. A state indisputably, this is Justice Alito writing for the majority, has a compelling interest in preserving the integrity of its election process. So this ain't no joke. Limiting the classes of persons who may handle early ballots to those less likely to have ulterior motives deters potential fraud and improves voter confidence. That was the view of the Bipartisan Commission on Federal Election Reform, chaired by former President Jimmy Carter and former Secretary of State James Baker. The Carter-Baker Commission, and this is a commission report that I've quoted, and I've been censored for quoting. But now it's the basis for a Supreme Court decision. The Carter Baker Commission noted that, quote, absentee balloting is vulnerable to abuse in several ways. Citizens who vote at home, at nursing homes, at the workplace, or in church are more susceptible to pressure, overt and subtle, or to intimidation. The commission warned that, quote, vote buying schemes are far more difficult to detect when, bid, when citizens vote by mail. States, therefore, should reduce the risks of fraud and abuse in absentee balloting by prohibiting third-party organizations, candidates, and political parties, political party activists, from handling absentee ballots. And Alito says the commission ultimately recommended that states limit the classes of persons who may handle absentee ballots to the voter, of course, an acknowledged family member, the U.S. Postal Service, or how are you gonna get it if you don't mail it? Or other legitimate shipper or election officials. So meaning no third parties. And the underlying law is even more permissive in that it also authorizes ballot handling by a voter's household member and caregiver. Meaning, I don't know, someone's helping your 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 mom or dad and she's elder they're elderly and uh, the helper, or the home health care provider can drop it at the box for it. And Alito notes that restrictions on ballot collection are also common in other states. So we have the Supreme Court acknowledging and affirming that there are legitimate concerns about fraud with respect to mail-in, ballot har- mail-in voting. Ballot harvesting only being one aspect of it. And the Lito goes on to say it should go on, it should go without saying that a state may take action to prevent election fraud without waiting for it to occur and be detected within its own borders. The Voting Rights Act was an issue in this case, section two, which prohibits uh, you know, basically targeting uh, restricting people's votes based on their race. Section two's command that the political process remain equally open surely does not demand that, quote, a state's political system sustain some level of damage before the legislature can take corrective action. Fraud is a real risk that accompanies mail-in voting, even if Arizona had the good fortune to avoid it. Election fraud has had serious consequences in other states. For example, the North Carolina Board of Elections. It was a Republican election, by the way, that was inv- validated the results of a 2018 race for a seat in the House of Representatives for evidence of fraudulent mail-in ballots, the Arizona legislature was not obligated to wait for something similar to happen closer to home. So this kind of blows out of the water to the left's concerns, which really are not in good faith in most cases, about election security measures. Uh, And um, the fact that this had to go all the way to the Supreme Court uh, is troublesome. Uh, But it was a common sense decision. And the fact that three liberal justices, uh, I guess, Kagan played the race card in objecting. You know, shows you that our elections are always going to be a close run thing. I mean, if you get the courts going the wrong way, if you get elected officials going the the wrong way, we can have elections that are ruined. I mean, look at what's happening in New York. They had a Democratic primary that was terribly compromised by incompetence or who knows what else needs to be investigated because they've got this uh, ranked vote, ranked choice vote. What is it? Ranked ranked choice voting scheme, which is something the left has been pushing. And I could go on and on about why that's a problem. But anyway, it's a confusing way to vote too often for many voters. So you had the Democratic mayor, mayoral primary up there, and it turns out they left at least 135,000 test ballots in the count that they then had to take out. And the leading candidate is sued in court. So here we've got Democrats screwing up an election and a Democratic candidate suing in court to protect election integrity. I guess that's OK. It's only OK when one side does it. Isn't that true? So this is great. So, um, as I said, you know, the, the race card was rejected. They affirmed the state interest in uh, making sure that elections are fair and honest. And uh, the Georgia case, as far as I'm concerned, I think it was ridiculous to begin with that Garland is pursuing. It's an embarrassment. If he doesn't pull it back, it shows you how partisan Garland is and how abusive of his power Garland is on the Biden administration generally, because they're doing this at the behest of the White House and Democrats in Congress. But the challenges to state election reforms that many state legislatures are doing in in response to uh, the 2020 election controversies um, are really going to be significantly harder to pursue by left-wing partisans because they can't play the race card anymore with Fraudulent racial statistics. The Supreme Court saw through that. And the court recognized the legitimacy and, and the legitimacy of the concerns that Judicial Watch has had, President Trump has had, and tens of millions of Americans have had of both political parties that elections be free and fair and that state legislatures take steps to ensure that they are free and fair by making sure only eligible voters vote and that the process is set up in a way that people don't think it's all being gained. So a great decision, I encourage you to read it and Judicial Watch will continue, as I said in its litigation to clean up the election rolls. We had success in Illinois, gaining access to information, success in Maryland, gaining access to information. We have a lawsuit in Georgia to figure out what went on in that election down there and more is coming. And I encourage you to get your state legislative officials to look at this decision, And you should ask them, what else are they going to do to make sure? Not every state has voter ID. Fifteen states don't have voter ID that cover major states like New York and California, Illinois. I don't think Pennsylvania has voter ID. I think the governor just vetoed a voter ID law there. And frankly, a lot of states that have voter ID, the voter ID isn't terribly strong. So look it up, get active, and support Judicial Watch's efforts as well. Another great decision was in uh, a case in which the left is trying to use confidential IRS information to intimidate and chill intimidate American citizens uh, uh, and to uh, chill the First Amendment protected speech of Judicial Watch and frankly every other organization that dares to organize itself under the First Amendment's core right of freedom of association. Um, the Supreme Court ruling protects donor privacy that um, certain, um, uh, uh, excuse me, that California specifically was trying to invade. So what happens is charitable organizations such as Judicial Watch, and this applies to anyone who is a charity, meaning a 501c3, the technical term is, uh, in the least, is that certain donors who gave a certain amount of money, uh, either in absolute terms or as a percentage of the of the organization's uh, 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 larger donations and support, uh, get reported I- to the IRS. So let's say five donors gave Judicial Watch $10 million, which would, you know, that would trigger the reporting requirement. We'd have to put their names and addresses and the donation amounts and turn it into the IRS with our annual return, our 990 return. Now that form is private, though the IRS can't publish it. The rest of the form is not is public, but the IRS can't publish that donor information because that's confidential taxpayer information. It's typically not public. So, what did the California leftists try to do? They tried to force organizations that have that that donor they tried to force organizations to turn that donor information that's confidential over to the state. They said, you can't withhold that donor form that you give to the IRS. And what Judicial Watch said, and specifically what the plaintiffs in this case said, was, what are you trying to do here? You're trying to intimidate these donors. There's no guarantee you're going to keep these uh, records secret. In fact, they actually had accidentally publish certain donor information online. And so there was a first amendment challenge and there's an old case going back 40, 50 years called the NAACP for short. And you can imagine 40, 50 years ago, people wanted to know who was supporting the NAACP so they could intimidate them, that group from engaging in its advocacy for civil rights. And the Supreme Court said, no. I mean, that's essential to a group's ability to organize is confidentiality of its supporters. And the the government's interest in there can't outweigh the First Amendment protected rights of assembly and association. I guess the association rise from peaceable assembly portion of the First Amendment. So Judicial Watch filed, I think, at least two briefs. One, encouraging uh, with our friends at the Allied Educational Foundation, encouraging uh, the court to take up this case and then raising concerns about the way this was being handled. So uh, uh, raising concerns, let me start over on that one. So Judicial Watch filed two amicus briefs with our friends at the Allied Educational Foundation, one asking the court to take up the case, and once they did, then we filed the case further on the merits. And the court uh, brushed back, thankfully, again, in another 6-3 decision, So we know the left doesn't like the First Amendment in this regard. The latest attempt by leftist politicians, this time in California, because remember, there's a sordid history here, to abuse IRS information, to collect uh, details on and intimidate donors to charitable organizations. And the organizations themselves would be chilled, too, because if you know your donors are going to be subjected to harassment, you make you, you may be more careful as an organization. And if you're donor a judicial watch, do you want your name out there? Of course not. The Supreme Court agreed with us and other nonprofits. And by the way, these nonprofits were from all over the place, ideologically. Left-wing groups, conservative groups, all opposed this. They said the donor disclosure mandate chills the First Amendment activities, as I said, of the groups and their donors. So this is not just a victory for judicial watch. It's a victory for you because they were coming after your confidentiality rights under the First Amendment. I think the Thomas, Lo- Thomas Moore Legal Center and Americans for Prosperity uh, were the plaintiffs in this lawsuit. Uh, but I can tell you they had an army of supporters behind them in terms of other groups who said, we are concerned about this as well. And you know, as Judicial Watch uncovered, uh, remember the Obama IRS gained and misused donor information in an attempt to attack the Tea Party and opponents of President Trump. And just earlier this month, a left-wing publication, ProPublica, somehow obtained information from the IRS on thousands of American taxpayers, information, some of which they published. So this concern about secrecy is significant, and it shows you the IRS, in my view, has always been a sword of Damocles over the First Amendment. It's, 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 it's a vehicle for corrupt politicians to target their political opposition. It's too rich to resist. It's too easy to resist. And many presidents, and in California, they see an option. They saw an opportunity to use the IRS to intimidate their opponents as well. And you don't need to do anything to intimidate your opponents. I mean, just the mere collection. And knowing that someone like Kamala Harris, who was the attorney general at the time, they started pushing this hard. Kamala Harris, would you want someone like her having access to your donor information? Even if she said she promised to keep it secret, oh, come on. And the Supreme Court said, oh, come on, we don't buy it. It's over, you can't ask for it. So we were excited about that decision as well. So it's another decision you should read. Uh, You know, they argue about what type of scrutiny they should give uh, this type of rule. I mean, which may be interested to those of you who are interested in constitutional uh, analysis by the courts, but um, the right of association is as almost as alien. This is the this is the law. This is the big Supreme Court decision, at least appell, is almost as inalienable in its nature as the right of personal liberty. No legislator can attack it without impairing the foundations of society. So this was a sweeping victory for the first amendment and you know it couldn't come in a better time because you me many patriots are facing harassment intimidation and worse from state actors as i pointed out in california specifically seeking to oppress their political opposition Speaking of oppressing political opposition, it was terrible news again this week uh, for President Trump, who was again victimized by his political opposition in New York. You have Letitia James, who is the New York attorney general who ran to, uh, uh, for office on a platform of attacking Donald Trump and you know basically said he was, she was going to go after him once she was attorney general of New York, which she, she, that was a campaign promise she kept. And Cyrus Vance, who was the district attorney for Manhattan, an elected Democrat, and it looks like what they did was they decided they were going to investigate the Trump organization. Not because there was any good faith basis to suggest they had done anything illegal, but because they hate Donald Trump. That's my opinion. And it's a retaliation for the fact he was president. And it's uh, obviously a, a, a way to keep him in a box. If he dares to run again for president, and sure enough, they come up. They came up with these podunk—I call them podunk or petty charges—against the Trump organization and uh, his top uh, CFO, who had been there, I think, forty years, Alan Weiselberg, on alleged tax evasion charges at the state level, on supposedly. Additional income he received in terms of fringe benefits that he supposedly was supposed to pay taxes on, and that the Trump organization was supposed to pay taxes on. I mean, does that sound to you like a criminal case? Indeed, the New York Times, when first reporting on this, their experts said they, don't, they never heard of anything like this before. At best, this is an audit type situation, if that. And I don't, I don't believe, frankly, and I don't, Cyrus Vance and Leticia James, who's been his partner in this regard. I don't believe anything they do in this. I issued a statement. These petty charges against President Trump's company and employee arise from political animus against Trump by Democrat New York politicians. Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, James Comey, Robert Mueller, and now Vance and Letitia James all abuse power. It's target, harass, and violate the civil rights of President Trump. These new charges are another affront to the rule of law, and they're obviously an attempt to hamper any potential campaign by Trump if he wants to challenge Joe Biden. And, you know, And we've been second to none in exposing and often thwarting the government abuses targeting President Trump and other innocent Americans. And you can see the job isn't done. There's more to be done. And it's never going to stop. Trump is never going to be stopped in terms of harassment. And this particular abuse, it, it goes back to Mueller. It goes back to the corrupt and out of control Justice Department. They handed the baton to the Southern District of New York, which is a U.S. attorney office that answers to the Justice Department. It's, a federal, it's the federal uh, prosecutor up in New York, anti-Trumpers all. They harassed Trump there, and then they handed the baton to the local hacks in New York. This is terrible. And, it's an imba- and, and, and and if you're an honest American, you should be embarrassed and worried for the entire nation. This is third world type of corruption. And I want you to put yourself in the place of the gangsters running Russia and China when they are criticized by those of us in America for the way they conduct their justice systems against their political opponents. And they look at us and think, who are these people kidding? Look at what they're doing to Trump. And they're going to criticize us? It makes us look like fools. It diminishes our reputation for human rights. This is a human rights abuse, in my view. I mean, if you know, if, if Andrew Cuomo had any gumption, and I know he would never do this, he would pardon pardon everyone involved. He says, "I'm not doing it." But this is we're not doing this. We're not retaliating against Donald Trump with Trumped up political charges. Our city in New York is out of control in terms of corruption and and murderous crime. And they're wasting resources on a fringe benefits case against a major employer in the city. What, What an outrage. What an outrage. So we're going to investigate this. We're going to push for the truth here and we're going to stand for the rule of law here. I know it's not cool anymore to protect and defend the rule of law, and specifically Donald Trump, from being victimized. But I don't care. The President of the United States can be targeted by his political opposition in such egregious and criminal ways, and we got a real problem. Man, I'm mad at Well, it's Independence Day. (laughs) On the other hand, we're celebrating something the left hates, which is our Independence Day. Uh, We're under attack right now by the communist revolutionary movement who really hates our Republican form of government. Uh, And uh, they've made it a priority to defame our nation by attacking its founding and its founders and its principles. Remember, the communist left doesn't just hate current America, uh, American, the current American system. They believe in principle, everything that we believe in, in terms of our constitutional rights, is all a sham that should be overturned. And when, uh, so because they are enemies of history, enemies of memory, we must always educate ourselves about the glorious revolution for liberty behind our nation's founding. If we can't do it today, or this weekend, I don't know when we should be doing it. And to that end, which I've been doing the last few years, is I like to read to you, because the left doesn't want you to know the truth about why we revolted, and why our founders uh, risked their lives and secret fortunes, so that we can be freer. I would like to read our Declaration of Independence in full. requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed; that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter, alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that government long established should not be challenged should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government the history of the present king of great britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states to prove this let facts be submitted to the candid to a candid world he has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good he has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent be obtained, and when so suspended, he is utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of rep- representation to, in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their official records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolution to cause others to be elected Whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He is kept among us in times of peace, standing armies without the consent of our legislators, legislatures. He is affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, given his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders for which which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws and neighboring in a neighboring province, thereby establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws and altering fundamentally the forms of our government, our governments, excuse me, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy. Scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens, taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrection amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act, which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in intentions to our British brethren, We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow those usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies of war, in peace, friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled appealing appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions due in the nature and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, and that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British Crown, and that all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes and our sacred honor. Boy, what a, what a, what a, uh, what a document. huh? And you know, I've read this many times before and every time I read it, there's something new for me. I'm sure it's new for you. Uh, and I encourage you to read it, share it with your family, ask, especially if your children and grandchildren, they need to be reading this and understanding it. Uh, and with that, I, uh, I wish you a wonderful Independence Day. Happy birthday, America. It's our 244th birthday. And God bless you and God bless America. I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.